Thank you, ladies. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 12. Glad to see that you are able to make it through the cloud. I would call pollen. I think my shirt was white when I started this morning. Um, you know, this is the season where uh, it, it fills every cavity. Um, you try to keep your windows shut, cars shut. You go out, if your window is cracked, it will be pollen on your dashboard. It's just the season we live in. Um, we maybe only have a few more weeks, tough it out. We will survive, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it occurs to me as we see things like pollen and other, it just reminds me of the spirit of the world that we live in. That as believers in this age, we live in a society, and, and society has always been this way, where it is trying to fill every open cavity of our soul with the spirit of this world. First John describes it as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It is seeping through any open spot we have in our heart, which is why it is so important that in our spirit we are sealed with the Bible says sealed with the Spirit of God. That there are no open spots in our heart because it's filled with God. Prayer is critical. Prayer is critical to the working of our heart to be directed and filled with God's Spirit. If there is not prayer in our life, it is it is as opening up the windows to our car and we're surprised that pollen's in there. If there is not the prayer in our life, the working of the Holy Spirit of God in our life, it is opening up the soul window and letting the Spirit of the world come in. You need to be aware of that. So just as sure as you will walk out and see pollen all over your vehicle when you leave within the next couple hours... Um, <laughs> No, (laughs) to see if you're listening, to see if you're listening, Uh, just as sure that's going to happen, your spirit will be filled with the spirit of this age if there's not the role of the Holy Spirit at prayer in your life. So with that being said, I want to direct our attention to Acts chapter 12. We looked at this last week. We saw that this was uh, an event that occurred over Easter, Uh, and we saw how the resurrection made the difference in Peter's life, the resurrection made the difference in James' life. James was killed, but he lived toward the eternal life of, and saw that his life was not something to hold dear. Peter uh, was rescued, and we saw the power of the resurrection was at work in his life and delivering him out of death. Whether you're delivered out of death or you're delivered through death, it is still God working in your life. And so we're going to focus on what the church was doing in Acts chapter 12 in light of Herod. Uh, And so I want to see how prayer is the difference maker. In this story, it is the difference maker in your story, or is it? And that's the question that needs to be asked as we read this. And so uh, we're going to focus on the first 19 verses. Uh, And so if you'll stand as we read this together, Acts chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. 
And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door, were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly, and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord had sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. And where many were gathered together and were praying, and when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. When Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him, he did not find him. He examined the centuries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. You may be seated. This chapter is really contrasting Herod with God's people. And of course, if we were to read the chapter as we did last week, we'd see how Herod dies, a very gruesome death, uh, with, uh, in fact, from what other historians, historians tell us, that his death was not just a quick thing being eat up with worms, but it was something over the process of five days, a uh, very gruesome end to Herod, and then you've got this contrast of Peter being rescued, and then there's poor James, uh, who was executed at this, uh, this time. And so this is really about God's sovereignty over Herod versus the people, you, you often think, well, you know, it's great that Peter got uh, delivered, but what about James? Um, or what about the, the soldiers? I often thought about it, like, man, these soldiers really get it bad. Uh, they get the sentence that Peter was supposed to have because Peter escaped. And so you see God's sovereignty in this, but in this also, in this chapter that emphasizes God's sovereignty, how he chooses to rescue one and allows another to die, you have prayer. Prayer is the vehicle through which God's power is working. And so uh, I would first bring to your attention that the working of God turns on the hinge of prayer. The working of God turns on the hinge of prayer and so you've you've got this this setup 
Uh, James is executed, and, and here Peter was kept in prison. And then you have this contradiction, verse 5. But earnest prayer was made for him and was made to God by the church. Now, there has been a tide that has turned. In Acts chapter 5, we've seen that everybody uh, has favor toward the followers of Jesus. And so there's a great uh, celebration that's happening if, for the church that's going on in Jerusalem. But there has been a tide that has turned. We've seen Stephen be executed, but Stephen was an Hellenistic Jew. In other words, this was a Greek-speaking Jew and was offensive to the Jews that were considering themselves pure. James was the very first what you call pure Jew that is executed. There has been a major tide that has turned where they celebrated the followers of Jesus. And now, about 10 years later, they are celebrating the demise of Peter, of James, of the church leaders. So and when Herod puts James to death, he realizes, man, this makes everybody happy. And James is really interested in making everybody happy. He's into the praises of the people. And so it's just interesting. I want you to note there has been a tide that has turned. Friends, I hope you can understand and relate to that a little bit in America. All right. It wasn't that long ago in my lifetime that if you a, a, were a follower of Jesus in America, then that was regarded as a good thing. You were held in high esteem if you followed Jesus and his teachings. And in fact, it could have been that you really would have had a hard time to be elected in the political office if you did not follow Jesus. How many of you remember those days? Okay? Those days aren't here anymore. You realize that, right? If someone is following Jesus and what he taught, it is a political detriment to that person. You understand that? It is not held in favor to be a follower of Jesus. And so you are starting to experience what they experienced in just 10 years we are starting to experience as well. How do we deal with that? Look at what the church did. They prayed. They prayed. I would just want to present to you that the weapons of our warfare are not political nor military. We have, in times past, have had political military influence. Do we understand that? That may come, but it is not the prescription for the church. We deal with spiritual things. We pray. And that is the response of the church in that day. And I would just challenge you that when you see things in the media and we get frustrated, we might get angry, I would just encourage you, take it to prayer. Take it to prayer. Watch how God will work. Yes, there is a time to step up and speak up, and they do speak up. I'm not advocating for us as a church to say, okay, let's just be quiet. But I am promoting to us as a church, let the first tool be prayer. And I think too many times we rush past prayer so that we can speak up. That is not the way to go. 
All right? So let's see how this goes and turns. Uh, and so we've got, uh, as, we, as we read here, verse 4 and 5, they seized him, put him in prison, delivered him over to four squads of soldiers. These would have been hourly shifts to make sure they've got a reputation of escaping prison. Okay? They've seen this happen. Herod said, that, not on my watch. This isn't going to happen. And so four squads of soldiers to guard him. Uh, we see that he's chained. Uh, and so they're tending after the Passover because it was just in poor taste to kill someone in Passover time. All right? Uh, and so after the Passover, they're going to bring him out. Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Uh, some interesting, powerful uh, quotes I want to give to you. One of them is by the, by a man named Samuel Chadwick in The Path of Prayer. He writes this, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Her enemy fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He, he mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men of prayer, of power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. You see, in this story, we see that God, the angels, and even the enemy itself is looking at the prayer of the church. The angels are paying attention. God is paying attention to the prayers of the church. Let me ask the question, is there anything for God to see in our life? Do the angels take note of anything in our life because there is prayer? And that is the question we've got to ask. John Wesley believed that there was nothing done by God except in response to prayer. If that is the case, what is God able to do in your life because of prayer? And that's the question that comes to us as we read this story. James was executed. Peter was not. And I can't explain it because it's the sovereignty of God, but the text seems to point out that prayer was a difference maker here. Prayer was a difference maker. Do you believe that God works in response to prayer? The answer to that question is not whether you nod your head. The answer to the question is what you do. Do you pray? Do we pray? And I know as I preach this, this is probably, there's two things that will always embarrass any believer. If someone asks you how much you've been praying and how much you've been sharing the gospel. Those are the two things that we just like, oh no, pastor's talking about this. All right, and so I understand that. I know that, and I know that I'm talking to a group of people who say, yeah, we believe that Jesus is the answer. We believe that God works through prayer. But the the fact is, are we expressing it by our actions? What's going on? Samuel Zwimmer said, the history of missions is the history of answered prayer. I'm convinced that when we stand before God, we will discover that every soul ever brought to knowledge of Christ was in some way related to intercessory prayer. Why would someone make a statement like that? Perhaps it was because of what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 10. Now you remember, who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Luke is the second volume. 
All right, the first volume is, of course, Luke, all right? So a lot of these things go hand in hand. And so in Luke chapter 10, verse 2 and 3, he talks about Jesus. And as he's sending out the 72, after he's already had a group come back, he says, we're going to do missions. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 2 and 3, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So what should we do? Should we send out more people? No, Jesus says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs into the midst of wolves jesus solution to a world that does not know him is for his people to pray that's the work that he's asked to do so in response to this this is where we make statements like anyone that comes to know jesus christ as the savior lord has done so in relation to intercessory prayer who prayed for you if you're a follower of jesus christ who prayed for you you have some names popping up? It doesn't take long, does it, for us to think of the names of people who prayed for us. So the question I want to ask is, is there anyone that, as they sit here today, and they're thinking, you know, I'm, I, 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 he's asking me this question, and I know I know Jesus as my Savior and Lord. Do they mention you? Does anybody refer to you because of their salvation? And that you prayed for them. That can easily be remedied by praying for them now. God is bringing this to your attention to understand that heart changes doesn't happen because you're persuasive in your speech. It doesn't happen because of, oh, you put a sound argument on Facebook, all right? It's going to happen because you're praying and God is working in response in their life. I can discipline my children all I want, but it's not going to change their heart. It's the work of God and prayer. Now, as we go about this, it's, it's, it's somewhat humorous, isn't it, as we read this? Hair was about to bring him out. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. It's like one wasn't enough. Right, one that he might get away. Uh, two. All right, two chains, centers were before the door, and then an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. I think it's fascinating that Peter was sleeping well. I mean, what would you do? Peter's sleeping well. James has already been killed. I think this shows you Peter's resurrection belief. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to wake up going somewhere better. He's sleeping sound. How do we know that he was sleeping sound? Well, because the the text says that the angel had to strike Peter on the side. And that is a very strong word there. I mean, this is he smacked him. I mean, this is like a teenage boy sleeping right here, all right? Uh, and so here this this angel is is waking him up saying, "Get up quickly." And the chains fell off his hands. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. This begs another question there. Uh, but he says, get dressed. Let's go. Wrap your cloak around you. Follow me. He went out, followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Peter has a history of seeing visions. All right? He's like, oh, this is like, this is like the animals coming down, you know? Uh, and so, he, but he realizes 
When they passed through the first and second gate, they came to the iron gate leading, leading into the city and it opened for them on its own accord. You know that word for that is automate? You know where we get from? This is the first automatic door right here, all right? Next time you go to the grocery store, think about this. Wow, that came from here, all right? Uh, technology we use to replace God, all right? Just a little thought there. Uh, so they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Why did the angel leave him? Because the angel wasn't needed. God will work to the point of need. But he, doesn't exp- he does not going to do for you what you are able to do yourself. And so the angel takes him through the miraculous and says, Okay, here you are. You know your way from here. And the angel departs. All right? I think there's a point to that uh, as we go on. And when Peter came to himself, he wakes up. He's like, I'm not sleeping, walking. This isn't a vision. I really am here. Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod. He wasn't sure before. It was just, thought it was a vision. And he says, God's rescued me from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. All right, John Mark, we're going to hear about him in the next chapter. Many were gathered together and were praying. All right, there's some, some things here. Uh, as we look at this, we've looked at the, the working of God hinges upon uh, prayer. And now, as we read this, we're seeing what are, what are the people praying? The working of God is the purpose of prayer. The working of God is the purpose of prayer. So as the people are praying, they're praying for God's working to happen in their life. Now, there are usually two ways this flows out. There is the anxiety prayers. All right, uh, this flows out of cares in our life. And then there is the advancing prayers, okay, where we're, we're praying for God's kingdom coming as he taught us to do in, John, or in Luke chapter 11. So there's anxiety prayers and there's advancing prayers. Interesting, if you look in the book of Psalms, which is a record of prayers, you will see both of these uh, being the basis of prayers. There are the anxious prayers, the cares of the concerns in their life, and just, God, I can't sleep type of prayers. And then there you see in Psalms the advancing prayers. You'll have both in your life, the anxiety prayers and the advancing prayers. Uh, but nonetheless, when it's all said and done, it is the working of God that you are praying for. You're praying for that. So you're going to be fueled uh, by these things. Now let me just say, uh, bring some practical points here. Men. This is something that God has burdened my heart with, men. For me, as a dad, as a husband. Something that just got impressed upon me as I was work, working in India and talking with Finney's father. Let the first voice be expressed audibly in your home, be that of you talking to God out loud. Get up in the morning and let your house hear your prayer. Why, men? Because you are as a priest to your family. What does that mean? You are a bridge. You are a bridge 
for God's working and your family. There is something unique about men praying, as we've seen in 1 Timothy, that they are to everywhere be praying. So dads, husbands, there is something in your unique role of what God has called you to do and be that is imperative that you pray and that God will respond to you in the role that he's called you to do and be in your home. And pray out loud. Why pray out loud? Because in praying out loud, it is an expression of faith. Just doing it out loud. Not to mention you, it's harder to fall asleep if you're praying out loud. All right? Just out loud. In so doing, you are saying, God, I believe you're here. Let me say it out loud. Let me talk out loud. What are you praying? You're praying for the advancing of the kingdom in your home. Okay, as well as many other things that you're asking God's will to be done, God's authority to be established, that his name will be honored. All right, now some of you are thinking, well, there is no father here, there is no husband. Do what you can. Mothers, just because your husbands don't do it doesn't mean you're exempt. All right, do what you're able to do. Okay? And it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And guess what, mothers? One of the things you're going to be praying for? God, wake up my husband. <laughs> if you pray that really loud, that might be effective. <laughs> no. uh, but pray for God's working in his life, that he will do this. And so, Dads, husbands, let's be this. Let's do this. Let's, let, let's pray for the working God. Now, the other thing that hits me is praying out of anxiety. All right? Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7. Why is the church waking up in prayer? Because they've seen James killed. They realize Peter might go. I mean, James was one of the inner three, like Peter and John. And if Herod gets his way, all three of them are going to be dead. And so there's this anxiety that kind of woke them up. And it wasn't just that Peter is going to go, but they, they are the ones who knew Jesus the best. They're the ones that are teaching us. This is critical for the advancing of, of the teachings of Jesus, the advancing of, of the kingdom. Let's pray for this. God, preserve your teaching as it happened to be through Peter. Let me ask you, would anybody miss the voice of God in their life because you're gone? Would anybody miss the voice of God in your life because you're not there anymore? Peter was important to them because he was giving the teachings of Jesus. And so they, are, they have these anxieties and their cares. And let me, just, let me just bring this to you. This, this often is the nighttime, isn't it? The nighttime, when your mind is tired, and you start thinking through the day, and through the week, and, you, and your heart and mind start racing. Some of us are blessed with the ability to go to sleep fast. Like that. I'm one of them. But those same people are the ones often that wake up at 2. <laughs> I fell asleep at 9, 10, whenever I just decide to go to bed, but then you wake up at 12, 2, 4. So let me just bring this to your attention. I've sensed this, I've felt this, I've struggled with this. There is the tendency to do anything but prayer when you wake up at 2. Why? 
Because we don't think that's going to set our mind at ease. Let me watch TV. Let me watch SportsCenter. All right? Let me look on Facebook, Instagram, read the Twitter accounts. Let me read a book. Anything that gets my mind off my day. I think that Facebook and social media exist to verify by God that we had time to pray. I don't have time to pray. But look at all the feeds on Facebook. Really? One of the things I've seen in my heart is I will go to Facebook as a substitute for prayer. I want some sense of being connected with the world at large. And it never quite satisfies, so you keep on doing it, you keep on reading it. And I don't think social media is wrong unless it is in the place of prayer. So what's the solution? Pray before you go to social media. Pray before you put on a sports center at the middle of the night. Pray before you go to that book. Pray before you listen to your, your, uh, your music. Pray before you listen to the pastor preaching on a podcast to make you go to sleep. Um, <laughs> I do that, all right? I do that. I don't listen to myself, though. All right. <laughs> so let prayer have its place of casting your anxiety on him. And so this is what the church is. The working of God is the purpose of prayer. What are they praying for? John Piper in his book, Desiring God, said this, that prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness of unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of wartime mission. Do you know that your life is at a war? We had an intercom growing up. We had a basement and upstairs, and it was always to say, hey, it's time for dinner. Or, hey, can you get me this from upstairs? Something to make our life more convenient. But communications and warfare is critical because it's about an assault, is it about a defense, and life is at stake. Do we believe that life is at stake? Spiritual life is at stake. Sometimes physical life is, is at stake as it is here in Peter's life. If our life is about a war, then prayer takes its proper role. What we pray for indicates what we live for. Are we living for just a more comfortable, sick-free life? Are we praying for God's kingdom to come? Let His will be done. And that it's a war. That the real enemy is not necessary cancer. The real enemy is the sin that is in our heart that can lead to despair and hopelessness and lack of faith. we got to really know what the opposition is and pray the right way. Are we praying for trinkets for the damned? How do we, let me just share some things that helps us here. Pray Scripture. 
pray the book of Psalms. When you read a chapter of Psalms, it's not just to inspire you in song, but to lead you in prayer. Pray what the Scripture says. I found that if I don't have Scripture, I will pray some dumb things from time to time. Sometimes I say, well, God, be with me. Now, what does Scripture already say about that? When you're Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the Great Commission, as you go, make disciples. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do I really need to pray what Jesus said would already be true? Some of the things what I do pray is, God, let your presence be known to that person. So sometimes we, we need to read the Scripture to, to help us in how to pray. The Scripture says that the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf because sometimes we don't even know how to pray as we ought to. Now, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so one of the instructions is if the Spirit of God is going to teach me how to pray, He's going to use the Word of God to do so. I know I'm praying God's will when I'm praying God's Word. Now, I share with you as we've seen this example of Peter. God set him out of the, 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 the prison doors and there's a point where the angel was no longer needed. He says, okay, you've got it from here. You know how to do this. So just kind of humorously, someone said, well, God bless our food. <laughs> what are you eating when you, when you pray for that? You know, you eating that, that bacon-wrapped cheeseburger? <laughs> so a comedian has talked about that. You know, you're eating Cheetos, and you ask God to bless it. God changed the molecular structure of the Cheetos, so it was a blessing. <laughs> All right, so there's this thing of we've got to consider. God's already given us certain foods that have blessings built in, right? It's called vegetables, All right. So there's some things that we just got to think through a little bit of how we are praying Pray Scripture. Make this about the war that God has called us to. Now, as we read this, there's one other point I want you to understand. The working of God is the purpose of prayer. The working of God turns on the hinge of prayer. God has hardwired the universe so that His power is released through prayer. Just like turning on a light switch. You you can pray for God. Can you bring some light into this room? But there's a light switch, and this room has been hardwired, so light comes on through an electrical switch. God's work, His power is released through the hardwire of prayer. Now, He is sovereign. He will do what He wants. But in His sovereignty, He has chosen to use prayer. Now, our Calvinist friends, we struggle with this idea. But it's scripture. It's true. God's sovereignty is released through the power of prayer. And that has very much to do with your decision. I don't know how it is that God has limited his sovereignty somehow in your decisions, but he did it through prayer. And there it is. But one more thing the working of God is accomplished by persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. Notice, it's in the middle of night, and Peter's released. And there he journeys to the house of Mary, where many were gathered together and were praying. When? In the middle of the night. They continued in 
prayer. There is something about persistent prayer that God is looking for. How do I know that? Well, you remember Luke, all right? Luke, volume 1, before Acts. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. If you go there for just a second, I want to read some of that. Verse 1 through 13. You've got the Lord's Prayer, verses 1 through 4. This is in response to the, to the question. Remember, Jesus had already said, pray that God would send out workers into this harvest in Luke 10. Luke 11, they're asking, well, you know, if you're going to tell us to do that, why, can you teach us how to pray? You're praying. There's something about your prayers. Teach us how to pray. He gives them the model prayer. Uh, we know it as the Lord's Prayer in verses 2, 3, and 4. And then he gives this story in verse 5 and 6. So we read this part of this. He says, And he said to them, Which of you has a friend? will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Okay, when is this happening? Midnight. Three loaves. That's a lot of bread. I mean, these are big bread. It's like three dozen donuts, all right? This is a lot. And doesn't really seem necessary at midnight. Go back to sleep, you'll find the hunger passes. All right? So it seems unnecessary and very inconvenient and excess. All right? And then he says, For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything because that is totally reasonable, isn't it? Tell me in the morning. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his shameless persistence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you is his son, if his son asks for fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is the one telling this story because no one could get away with this. He is comparing God the Father to a selfish dad. And he's comparing God the Father to this neighbor who doesn't really want to grant this request because it's excess and unnecessary and a very inconvenient time. But the point that Jesus is saying is not to say God is like that. The point of both of these stories is Notice the insistent, persistent, continuing asking. And if evil people do this out of response to uh, this incessant asking, this nagging, if you will, how much more will God who loves you, who knows when the hairs of your head falls to the ground, who sends his son to die for you, how much more will this God respond to persistent prayer? Now, the question that often comes is, why does it have to be persistent? Aren't we praying God's will? Aren't we praying the things that God wants? And it seems like sometimes in my life that God has granted things even before I've even asked them. 
why does it have to be persistent prayer if God wants it anyway? And the answer is simply, I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that Jesus is teaching it. And I could make some guesses that it might have something to do with that. He wants to know whether or not you're waiting on him versus waiting on the stuff. And God dearly loves for you to be simply talking to him. And he knows that sometimes we won't talk to him unless we experience need in our life. Sometimes like you might enjoy just a a child sitting at your lap asking you something. I don't know, but I can see how there is a beauty in waiting on God and the persistent continuing asking is you desiring God above all things. In case we missed the point, you go a few chapters later, later, same book, same person, same writing, Luke 18, verse 1 through 5. Same lesson. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and lose heart. That's the point of this story. Be persistent in this. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And that's the one that God's going to be compared to, God the Father. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not... God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man, God, a Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And what does faith look like? How does the Son of Man know when you have faith? In this story, it is persistent prayer that you don't lose heart in faith is believing in the not yet and the unseen and so sometimes it is to challenge our faith as things continue on and it seems like things are unchanged and you say god here i am praying again it is reinforcing that god is the things of not yet and unseen and he reigns there and so i appeal to him continually reminding myself that god is the object of my desires and not just what i'm praying for You understand what we're saying here? He repeats the same lesson twice. And about three different stories now with the same point. Persistent prayer. Interesting, when God answers the prayer, he's knocking at the door. Rhoda is so excited. Goes in and no one believes her. They say, it must be a ghost. What do they think has happened? What would you think? What what does it mean when I say, well, Peter's ghost is out the door? They believe Peter has already been killed. His ghost is walking the streets now. But they're praying for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done. It's advancing. And then here he comes, and Peter, poor Peter, you know, he's he's on the run. (laughs) People are out to get him, and he's Standing outside this gate this whole time. Like, guys. I mean, there's a lot of humor right here as you just imagine this. 
And when they, Peter continued knocking, verse 16, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. And then he says, there's an uproar, as you can imagine. He says, be quiet, guys. I got a story to tell. Let me tell you how the Lord brought me out of prison. Tell these things to James, not the one that's dead. James, probably the brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the church at this time. And to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And these poor 16 soldiers were put to death. And then it follows Herod. And here's the contrast. The contrast between the believers and Herod. The believers express their voices to God. And Herod thought his voice was of God. The contrast between believers who prayed. If you're not a believer who prays, the picture that's being told to us is that you're like Herod, who thought he was God. What does it mean when we don't pray? God, I got this. I don't need to pray. I don't need to be dependent on you. I don't need to express this. I've got this. I am as God. Don't you wish there was another guy here? Okay, I want some third option. If I'm not like the disciples here, do I really have to be like Herod? Is that really the only option? Either you are in prayer going to the God who cares for you and is over all things, or you are heading things on your own and you are treating yourself as God. And there is a moment in time when God will call you out on it. So you think you're God? All right. Let's see how you do with worms. And the man who thought he was God was eaten by worms. Do you understand? The only thing that's going on in our life is the hand of God preserving you. And if we are living life on our own, there will be a day that comes when God's merciful hand is simply taken off. And all the things we've hoped in are swept away. It's going to happen. That's why we better hope in something more than this life. Let's pray.